What is going on, my friends? I hope you are doing well today. The team at TRE wants to say thank you so much for all the support. Thank you for joining today. This is the Real Estate Podcast, and we want you guys to do us a solid. If you don't mind, can you help us get the message out? We believe that real estate can be for anybody, and we believe there's opportunities for people to grow with us. So if you can, please share, subscribe, like, comment. Thank you for being here on our journey, and we are going to continue to add as much value as we possibly can and try to shake up the industry. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Real Estate Podcast. It is Monday morning. We're getting after today. Uh, really honored and uh, blessed to have Chris Heller here. And um, I think there's a lot we can learn from you personally. And we're just uh, pumped up, man. And, and uh, if you don't mind, we'd love to just kind of jump in here. Um, you know, Chris has been in the business for a long time, uh, has a real estate team, you know, number one producer at KW, became the CEO of KW. Um, entrepreneurial, right? Mul- CEO of multiple companies and um, really excited because we love business, me and Alex, and uh, there's a lot we can learn. And, and if the goal for us here is to provide value to entrepreneurs, uh, but at the same time, uh, help you out, right? And I know you got a new book that we'd like to talk about. And um, if it's okay with you, uh, I'd like to kind of just dive into your journey through real estate and we'll just ask questions and, and go from there. Are you sure? It's a long journey. <laughs> Let's do it, man. That, um, I got my license when I was 20 years old. My dad, uh, I was a sophomore in college. My dad called me and said, hey, you're gonna get your real estate license and come up to Lake Tahoe for the summer and work with me. And he was managing a timeshare resort. I did that and um, and then eventually moved to San Diego and, and did the same thing. And while I was doing that, I met a real estate broker and he um, he immediately tried to get me to get into residential real estate. and and. It only took him three years to convince me. Uh, three years of calling me, sending me note cards uh, every time I saw him bugging me, and finally he caught me at a weak moment. I said, "All right, I'll, all right, I'll give it a try." Consistency paid off. The consistency and persistence, yeah, and and the personal touch, those handwritten note cards. Nice. Uh, became rookie of the year my first year. Um, you know, t- sold twenty-seven homes. Um, you know hired an assistant at the end of my first year, which was back then unheard of. This was 1989 and real estate agents didn't have assistants, um, especially some young buck in the office when, with all the older agents. Uh, but it just made sense. You know, I saw these agents and I was spending a lot of time stuffing envelopes and folding letters and everything else. And I thought, yeah, I could pay someone to do this and go out and sell more homes. And I did. And, and Teams weren't a thing then. It wasn't a concept, but that was the beginning of a team. You know, mm. the next year I hired a, um, I started referring all my my buyer leads to a to a guy from another company who was I could tell was really good working with buyers because he would show my listings and ask smart questions and do good follow up and say, hey, how about if I send you all my my buyers and you pay me a above market referral fee and and then hired him said so at one point just said hey why don't you just come work for me mm-hmm. and 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 so that was how the the team kept growing i kept doing more business needed more people to um to help with the business and um, did that for the same company for 16 years and became one of the top 10 agents in the nation for that company as a nationwide company and then joined keller williams someone gave me a copy of the millionaire real estate agent book and read it and said, oh my gosh, here's a company that's figured it out. They're doing exactly what I'm doing, but it took me 16 years 
mm-hmm. you know, the hard way. And here it is writing a book. Um, by 2009, I was the number one KW agent in the world. And, and then in 2010, came to Austin and, and took a, an executive role as the president of the worldwide division, mm-hmm. which didn't exist. Okay. Uh, so my job was then to go build Keller Williams globally, which I did for five years and, you know, spread it around the globe, and, you know, opened up over 20 different countries. And then, then they asked me to become the CEO of the company, which was in 2015. And that was a great experience, um, grew the company and the profitability of the company uh, significantly more than it had ever grown in the previous, you know, 30 years. Um, and then two and a half years later, left uh, without a plan, but ultimately met um, another self-made billionaire, the founder of Loan Depot, which was the second largest you know, um, non-bank mortgage company in the world mm-hmm. or in the U.S. And, um, and joined them, became the CEO of their sister company called Mellow Home. Um, Back in about 2010, I started getting pretty heavily involved in, in prop tech and, and real estate technology. Initially out of necessity uh, because we had to figure out how to do things globally at Keller Williams and, and provide you know technology and, and have the technology to, to, to track what we were doing. Um, and so um, back in 2016-17, I had invested in a local startup here in Austin called Ojo Labs. And then they'd asked me to become an advisor very quickly, shortly thereafter. And then I became a board member. And then in 2019, they asked me to join them full time. And I did as the chief real estate officer and um, been doing that and then advising some other companies. So I love it, man. that's the career. That's great. There's, yeah, there's a lot there that I'd like to dive into. Uh, specifically, like to get started, first year of real estate, right? You said you sold 24 or so? 27. 27? But who's counting? <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, I, I actually, uh, I, can, I can relate in some ways. I got rookie of the year. My first year, I was in Corpus Christi, but I think I sold like eight or nine. Um, and so, like, what was your process? I mean, as, as much as you can dive into specifics, I think that'd be helpful for agents getting started to know, how do you go sell that many houses in the first year? Yeah. So I didn't know anything, and back then there wasn't any, there wasn't YouTube, there, there weren't, there weren't videos, there weren't nothing, nothing was online yet. So um, I was in an office with sixty or seventy agents, and I was just trying to figure out what to do and what real estate was. And I used to go with the manager, who was this really old guy. At least he seemed really old. When you're that young, everyone seems old. But I think he was actually really old. <laughs> and um, I would go to him and ask him a question, and he would say, hey, come back when the other new guys are here, and I, so I don't have to answer that question more than once. I'd be like, okay. So I started oh, bugging cool. all the other agents. Nice. Like, hey, how do you do this? What do you do? This? And then finally one day that manager gave me a script, and it was a script for calling for sale by owners. Mm-hmm. And, and the paper looked like it was from the Civil War days. It was that old. And, uh, and so I just started following that script and, and of the 27 homes I sold that year, 24 of them were for sale by owners that I listed. And, um, and that was just, you know, every day that's what I was working on. And I would spend, I would literally spend, and back then I didn't, I didn't know any better, nor did I have any other choice. So I was literally working seven days a week. I was, um. The broker was an ex-Marine. He used to get in real early, and I always wanted to be the first one in. Mm-hmm. So he would get in like at 6.30. So I was getting in like at 6.15 or 6 nice. o'clock. 
and I was always the last one to leave, you know, at eight or nine o'clock at night. I love it. I, I did the uh, exact same thing. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I recommend that, but, but <laughs> Hey, it's good when you're getting started. Uh, yeah. You probably would. Yeah. Especially when you don't have a, any other options. As long as like, uh, cause I fell into this trap later in my career. It's like, you, you're not just there to say that, like you're actually getting there and doing it. Right. Which obviously you were. Yeah. When you're finding those for sub by owners, were you driving around and finding the signs? And then I was doing them? two things. So I was that and I would go through the newspapers every week, cut out the, the classified ads. I had a little um, a little like uh, box with index cards in it. And I would I would file the ads by the, f the first three numbers of, of the phone number, by the, by the prefix of the phone number, because then when I saw a new ad, I wouldn't know if I'd already called or not. So I would just look if it was like a 753 number. Then I'd look at all the ones with a 753 number and go, oh, I already have this one. Mm -hmm. um, but that's how I kept track of them all. What was your pitch? My pitch was, hi, this is uh, Chris. I'm, I'm a real estate agent with Prudential. Um, I'm calling about the house for sale. And they'd usually say, well, you know, we're not using agents or, you know, we're not listing the house. I said, you know, that's not why I'm calling you. I'm calling you because I work with a lot of buyers and sellers in the area. It's part of my job is to know what's available and what's for sale. Could you tell me a little bit about it? And they tell me, I said, where's it located? My, my goal on that initial call was to do two things. One was to establish if they had motivation. Mm -hmm. And the second was to decide whether it was one I wanted or not. You know, like if it was a in an area that I didn't want to go to or type of property I didn't think I could sell, then that was, you know, it ended with that call. Mm -hmm. Or if I discovered they weren't really motivated, maybe they were just pissed at their neighbor and stuck a for sale sign in the front yard to, to spite their neighbor, then, you know, I, I'm not going to mess with that. But if they had motivation and it was one I wanted, then at the end of that call, I, I, would, I would end it with, hey, would you be offended if I were to stop by and preview your home? And it's really hard for someone to say, yes, I'd be offended. Mm -hmm. um, and then that would get me in front of them. Okay. And I knew, I knew early on, just because I watched it happen, that the agent who was in their face the most, I don't mean in their face like in an in a aggressive or rude way, I mean that was just there. in contact with them yeah. the most is the one that would end up with the listing. And almost all of them ended up listing. Even if they sold, they often fell out of escrow and then would list. So uh, my goal was just to be the one that was there the most. So I would call, send note cards, deliver information. I would do things like um, I printed out every form that the California Association of Realtors had. And it was like 50 or 60 forms. And I would drop it by and say, hey, here's some of the forms we use when we sell homes. Nice. Thought I'd give them to you in case, you know, when you get an offer, you'll know what to do. When you're ready to figure out how to fill these out, give yeah. me a call. Yeah. And they would go, you know, look at that and go, holy crap, this yeah. is overwhelming. Um, and, and do other things, you know, give them a list of, hey, here's the best escrow and title companies. And I'd call them like, usually call them on Mondays after the weekend because a lot of times they do open houses and they have, how'd your open house go? Did you, how many offers did you get? Uh, we didn't get any offers. We only had two people come in. Really? I'm surprised. You know, we had one this weekend. We had 17 people through and I think we got two offers. You know, and that, at some point I, I'd ask them the question, hey, how long are you going to keep doing what you're doing before you'd consider hiring a, a great agent like myself to help you? And they'd tell me. Oh, we're going to give it another two weeks or I don't know. What, what, what do you think you can do? And, and that was the opening that I needed to say, Hey, well, why don't we get together and that's great. Let me show you. So, you know, to, to bring this into, uh, right now what's going on, like at least in Austin, right? Uh, you don't really see a ton of for sub by owners. So would you say that 
it, you know, partially was good timing, you know, obviously you put in the work, but like that strategy might not be as prevalent. Uh, there's, um, so we can look at it a couple ways. There's, there's, there's always some for sale by owners in any market, but the key, I think the big takeaways are being persistent, being consistent and then doing something every single day, mm-hmm. you know, lead generation every day, whether you feel like it or not, mm-hmm. um, is, is the job of, of real estate agents. Now, how agents choose to do it, there's any number of ways, right? It might be picking up the phones. It might be knocking on doors. It might be through social networks. It might be through social media. It might be through online marketing. There, there's, you know, you name it, there's mm-hmm. a way to do it, but agents need to be so same concept just you know not exactly for sub owners but obviously it works yeah i um i quickly added expired listings to my arsenal and then it was just for sale by owners and for expired listings every day yeah i love it that's great well thanks for that advice um next thing i kind of want to understand is going from the way i i've never uh i've always been entrepreneurial i've been in real estate since i was 17 i'm 31 and thinking about CEO from the outside, it's like, I know that's, I know that, you know, obviously there's a lot of business savvy, obviously tons, but it's not necessarily the way I, I view it, like super entrepreneurial. Um, and, and I don't know if that's correct or not, but just understanding like how you, you shifted from, Hey, I'm just getting out here, you know, doing these deals. And now it's more of a corporate type position. What that process was like for you? Well, it certainly was a big adjustment. I, um, it was not a goal. I, I didn't have this master plan of, of doing this. I, I, I deep down knew that if I got uncommon results, I would get, I would get opportunities because of that. And so my goal was always to get, you know, outsized or outcommon results that would lead to more opportunities. And that's really how it happened. I mean, when I, because of the results I was getting, because of the type of businesses I was running, you know, they recognize, hey, you'd be a great person to help build the worldwide division for Keller Williams. Now, they didn't know anything about building a worldwide business. I didn't know anything about, you know, a global business and global real estate. Um, but they knew that I demonstrated all the characteristics of someone that would figure it out and that that wouldn't be deterred or stopped by obstacles and would, would, would get it done. And they knew me at that moment better than I knew me because I I kept saying well why do they think I can do this because I don't even know how to, I don't even know if I can do this um, but you know it was the results I was getting created that opportunity then in that role the results I got doing that you know made me sort of the obvious choice to become the CEO of the company when they needed a new CEO sure. and you know and then it was you know learning you know learning at a really fast pace, you know, what that means and sure. what it's like, you know, when you go from a, you know, a, a sole proprietor or, or an entrepreneur to leading a large company, um, it's a different dynamic, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, you know, leadership and leadership skills, you know, become, become key to the success. And, you know, the concepts of, of succeeding through other people becomes, you know, necessary because it's, you can't do it all yourself, right? The, the, um, you know, you, you become the, the lid or the ceiling on what you can achieve if, if it's all on you. Uh, so those were things that I, you know, I adapted to very quickly. What, uh, what year was that when they asked you to become CEO? 
2015. I became the president of the Worldwide Division in 2010, and then five years of doing that, then 2015. In 2015, maybe 130,000 agents? Yeah. Um, I actually... Yeah, it actually, it was probably yeah, 120 or so. And so stepping into that role, like you're talking about um, being the CEO of the company and then having to lead, you know, downwards, I'm um, sure is a big adjustment, right? Like you're talking about sole proprietor, kind of hands on doing everything yourself. And then now you're managing, I'm sure, you know, departments and departments within the departments. And uh, it's a much bigger shift and a different way of accomplishing things. Yeah. You know, I, I, I always had a team, so I always had, you know, assistants and, and people that worked for me and, and, and led, but this was just on a bigger scale. But the, the, the things that worked for me previous worked for me then there, and that was just, you know, being, um, being very authentic, being very honest, being very straightforward. Um, those were things that I didn't have to learn. Those were things that I, I just am. And, and that those things work, you know, mm. those things work universally. The, the skills I had to, you know, um, get better at or learn were things like, um, you know, how, how to manage a lot of different initiatives and a lot of different priorities. You know, you, as a small business owner or sole proprietor, you want something done, you just get it done or you figure out who can do it and, and you have them do it. In an organization, there's there's multiple initiatives and different priorities, and you know sometimes the things you, you that you want you can't get right now, um, or the cost of doing it would be greater than than uh, the benefits of doing it. So you have to you know understand all the, those things and prioritize, and um, and then you know having having really specific goals and then leading the teams, you know providing that vision. And then leading the teams, okay, here's how we're going to accomplish those goals. Did uh, Gary and ownership kind of tell you from, I guess, top top down on what the goals were for KW, or was that yours to establish? It was it was a it was collaborative. I mean, he. Um, so Gary never set the specific goals. He, I don't even know if he knows this, but he, <laughs> we were in a meeting and. He did have a goal of, of, of having a, achieving a certain dollar amount of profits and said, I don't think we can do this in the real estate company. So we need to add other services and other revenue streams. And if we add potentially this revenue stream and increase this one, and then we can get to that goal. And I said, I think we can get to that goal with the real estate company. And, and we did two years later. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was him that had the the goal, and it was my challenge to figure out how to get us there. Right. I'm uh, fascinated by like the the time it takes to get deals done. Right. Like I, I'm always like thinking like, what are these businesses doing? And they announce something, and you're like, that was probably in the works for five years. From from the point you said that they took notice of you succeeding with your team to you actually getting in that position, is that a two-year dating process like what did what did that look like um it, w it actually was a two-year process but it wasn't because of of them getting to know me or vice versa it was i got a phone call at the in the fall of 2008 by the ceo uh, mark willis who said 
and I was going to be in Austin the next week. He said, hey, when you come to Austin next week, I want to meet with you. Um, and I'll tell you why. We've been, for years, thinking about expanding internationally. All the other brands, Remax, Century 21, Coal Banker, have been international for 20 years. Um, but we haven't. We haven't for two reasons. Number one, Gary didn't want to go international until we reached a certain you know, plateau here in North America. And then second, we never had the, the right person, and we think you're the right person to do that. So that was at the fall of 2008. I didn't actually start till, till May of 2010, partly because we had to reach that goal that Gary set. Mm. And, um, and we weren't, you know, they weren't ready and I wasn't ready. So I, the good news was it gave me two years to prepare my team for me to step out of the role of leading that team. Yeah. So I had two years to, you know, I already had good systems and models, but now to build the, the personnel and, and some of the other infrastructure that needed to happen so I could mm-hmm. step out and have that team continue to, to go and grow. If it, if it didn't, that would be a failure, and, and sure. I, don't, I don't like those. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, there was that two-year period, but it was mostly just a timing issue, not – was Not that that wasn't the first time you talked to? Was you said his name was uh, Mark? Mark Wilson? No, no, he he, he knew he, you. Pretty he knew well. me. Yeah, in two thousand four, he was instrumental in recruiting me to Callaway. Okay. I came to Austin and met with him. No, he <laughs> knew me and you know saw what I had accomplished from two thousand four to two thousand eight when he called, um, and uh, and then it was you know then we had two years of sort of working behind the scenes to get ready to to start in 2010 yeah. we, we announced so, it in february of 2010 yeah what was uh one of your biggest takeaways um aside from you know what you mentioned you learned about managing many different priorities at once uh was there anything you learned specifically uh in your role as president of the global division and then also ceo that you took with you in your new ventures yeah i look i I learn things every day, multiple times a day. Um, um, specifically with the worldwide stuff and the global stuff, I, I learned a tremendous amount of how, you know, how different real estate is done here than you know, just about every other country in the world, and the nuanced differences <clears throat> from one country to another. Um, it was very easy for me to. I was able to learn pretty quickly just because I knew real estate so well. You know, like if I went to uh, wherever, Croatia, and to see what the differences were, see what the challenges were of the agents and the brokers, um, and then then be able to say, okay, here's how here's how Keller Williams can help with those challenges. Here's where Keller Williams can be, you know, be an answer for you to to, mm-hmm. to accomplish the goals you want. Uh, but in doing so, I learned a lot about, you know, the different cultures and, and different, like I said, nuanced differences of of how things are done. I'm more just kind of meant like yourself in that role. Was there anything you learned about, you know, because you left uh, the CEO role after two and a half years, right? So then going forward, was it like, uh, you know, if I ever become CEO of, you know, another large company like this again, I'll approach it this way or... I didn't enjoy this about it, but I did enjoy this aspect of it. Yeah, um, so good, good question. Yeah, yeah, I learned, you know, in, in any relationship, business, personal, you know, when that relationship is over, it gives you an opportunity to really examine, you know, the, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. And 
So, you know, one of the things I learned was what my really take an honest look at what my strengths were and what my weaknesses were. Um, and also understanding what type of, what type of uh, dynamics or what type of structure I need to be able to leverage my strengths or what type of situation would put me in a situation where I'd, I'd, you know, be dealing with my weaknesses a lot. So I got really, I got much more clear on what those strengths and weaknesses were. And then moving forward, making sure that I'm in a, in a situation where, you know, I can leverage the strengths and I'm, I'm able to, you know, be as productive and effective as possible. Mm-hmm. Got it. Well, uh, I guess shifting gears a little bit, cause you're, you've been around doing real estate for a while. Um, do you have a take on, or just any kind of, uh, passion or vision on kind of what the industry and that's kind of, you know, a lot to, to say here, but like, what, what does this industry look like? Like we're, we're building this brokerage. We've got about 150 agents and our big focus is, uh, really support the entrepreneurial spirit. Like commissions are great, but like come here and build your net worth. And in the way I'm kind of looking at it, and I'd love to get your take is, is that, <clears throat> you know, tech's getting very much involved in, in some ways. I think some of it's kind of pointless. Obviously some of it is very valuable, but we're like, let's go build the, the true real estate professionals and not just an agent. Um, partially, it's like the agent, at least from where I'm looking, like in some sense, it's, it's becoming less and less valuable with Open Door and Redfin and whatever it may be. And like commissions are uh, dropping and getting lower. And, and I've heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, but like Seattle, it's like no buyer's agent commission or 1%. Just curious on like, if that makes sense, like just, just how you view the future of all this with yeah. brokerage and uh, all the different brokerages. Yeah, there's, um, it's, it's been evolving and changing and will continue to evolve and change. I, I believe there'll always be a place for an agent because there's, the, there's always that need, especially, especially from an, an advisor or counseling type perspective. Um, you know, there's, there's in a lot of ways there's things that you can do things yourself but with certain things such as the purchase or sale of someone's largest asset they usually want they want that that trusted advisor there now at the same time there's a lot of platforms that are providing services to consumers that agents traditionally have provided you know being able to buy your home being able to sell your home um and that and that will continue on, and so you know consumers will have more and more options. What agents traditionally have been really good at is adapting and 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 morphing into whatever the the new rules of the game are. Mm-hmm. So you know the good agents are the ones now that are are bringing those options to the consumer, not not having hey those options are over there. What I do is over here, and what I do is better than those. So you shouldn't do those instead of embracing those and say, Hey, Mr. and Mrs. Buyer or Mr. and Mrs. Seller, here's, here's four ways that we can help you with the sale of your home. Yep. Let's figure out which one makes the most sense for you. Mm -hmm. Um, the, there is, it has been downward pressure on commissions, partly just because of, um, you know, technology advances and, and the things that the efficiencies that that create, 
um, and and the pressures that it puts on to the industry with a lot of outside companies coming into the industries and, and having um, those options that I mentioned. But also because we've, we've just gone through like 10 years of a strong, and the last three years, super strong, mm-hmm. you know, seller's market. And, and in those type of markets, there's always downward pressure too because it's easier to sell a home. So it's, it, who, it, who a consumer chooses to help them is less important. Right. And, and thus, if they can find someone that'll do it for less, that's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the newer agents can't compete with the more experienced or higher skilled agents. So the only way they can compete is to offer their services for less. So all those things mm-hmm. put downward pressure on, on commissions on top of the fact that it's just happening and evolving that way anyways. Uh, so other revenue streams, uh, you know, you, Matt, you, you know, mentioned it and, and I think it's super important and, and not just earning, earning wages through commissions, but also building wealth through, you know, investing mm-hmm. and way too many real estate agents don't own real estate or don't own enough real estate or don't take advantage of the opportunities that they come across because you know they aren't financially in a position to be able to do it because they haven't built their business to a level where they have that mm-hmm. you know enough cash flow to to make investments and so those things will i think become more and more important and nice. you know the brokerages of the future the ones that will offer things like that or more services and more um more ways for to help agents do more business you know in the past it was commission splits right. you know who the highest commission split is you know yeah. um but it, as we move forward agents are going to need more than just a, a yeah. good commission split and the, and the smart ones are willing to pay for it they're willing to accept less yeah, yeah, yeah. for other opportunities <laughs> it's so tricky uh, and you know that's our goal what, what you just alluded to in a sense and there's so many models right and yeah. like um, I'm fascinated by, and tell me your thought on this, but like, I, I kind of look at like KW and they, they built this amazing company. It's really cool that it started in Austin. And my understanding is that a lot of the EXP guys came from KW and I'm just like, so curious, like how big of a hit that was to KW. But then there's like real brokerage and there's there's like new ones every day like there's yeah. now maybe a, maybe a, who knows right like a better version of exp it's like is there going to be a couple of these that work out you know is yeah and, and our 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 business just by <clears throat> by nature of being primarily independent contractors and and the fact that it's a very personalized type business is very fragmented and and i don't very what fragmented okay yep. and i don't see that changing it's not going to be a a winner take all it's mm-hmm. it's this it's and it doesn't need to be because the market's big enough that can support several large mm-hmm. you know highly profitable companies um the yeah exp was a big hit to Calwin because basically you know whether it's gary at keller williams or glenn at exp they may not like this comment or totally agree with it but EXP is just a, a newer, better model or version of yeah. Keller Williams. That's what I'm saying. Is like, and then it's like, how do we make that better? You know, it's like that's yeah. what seems what's going on, and that's how we are. We're like, hey, like, how can we be very similar to EXP in some ways, but then add on the, hey, come here and and, and buy properties with us. Yeah, yeah, or or or, or <clears throat> do both. Um, you know, it's it doesn't always have to be 
have to be better. I mean, uh, I said this I don't know, probably 2018 or 19. I made the comment um, in an interview like this that if Gary was starting Keller Williams today, it would look a lot more like EXP than it does Keller Williams. Um, because what Glenn did was just came up with a, a better, smarter, more contemporary model mm -hmm. than you know something that was started you know in 1983. Mm -hmm. um, you know, will there be a better version of EXP? There might be, but then you got to ask yourself: Does the world need a better version? Right? Do we? How many? How many? How many more? You know, KW or EXP knockoffs do we need? Right. Um, there's companies that may be able to grow to a certain size by doing that, but if something's if something's really working well, then then the goal is okay. How can they make it work even better? Right. You know, and how can they make it even even more advantageous for the agents? You know, to be a place where you know more agents want to be and fewer want to leave, mm -hmm. and that's always the goal of, of of the large companies or even the small companies out there. Do you think uh, just from a, a straight like? business person perspective and i don't know if you can touch on all this stuff or not because you know you if, work if, it. if i can't i won't <laughs> but like uh <clears throat> i've always uh really looked at like how companies innovate and like you know you have to be getting better right and i would imagine that that kw feels that way um so i'm, I'm curious on like exp starting is like uh, was KW just constantly trying to get better and, and maybe did they just not see this aspect of it and like it was more this is like just creative or were they just kind of like hey we're, we're the big dog we're good uh, and never saw something like that potentially happening um, <clears throat> no there was never any complacency there were um, when I was there there was it was my primary focus which was to, to change and innovate. And Gary was, Gary was equally focused on that. There were some others in leadership positions who, who didn't want to change. Um, and that created internal conflict and was frankly part of the reason why I, I, I chose to, to not be there. Um, the, you know, in an organization, if, if everyone isn't rowing in the same direction or with the same vision or the same goals, then it, you know, it becomes hard to, to, to change and evolve and, and, mm -hmm. um, and innovate. I think, um, I think there's been, since I've left, there's been so much change there. I, you know, I, I would hope that now they're in a position where they can, can be focused on that and, mm -hmm. and hopefully will will do that. And they are, I think they are trying to do things to do that. It's also, it's not just the desire or willingness to do it. It's also the the structure, the underlying structure of the company. When you're a, a franchise organization with independently owned and operated franchises, there's certain things you can do really well, and there's certain things that be are really hard to do. Right. And and so they can, whatever they do, has to be within the the framework of what they've of what they created. And yep. another company, since we're talking about EXP, using them as an example. Uh, that doesn't have the, the franchises and all those independently owned and operated people that that um, you know that they have to work with. Um, you know they can do things and maneuver much more effortlessly and quicker than than a company that has that that mm -hmm. different type of structure. Yeah, it is fast. I mean, I just I can't imagine. Uh, I don't know how big it was. A massive hit for KW, like. Uh, 
No, I mean, it, it, it was, sure, they felt it, but I, I don't know that I'd call it massive. I mean, yeah. the company didn't, you know, they still continued to grow, mm-hmm. and, but just at a, at a declining rate because, you know, they were losing more people mm-hmm. than ever before. You know, to EXP, but EXP isn't made up of all Keller Williams, former Keller Williams people. There, you sure. know, there's people from every brokerage there. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure Gary and the company. You know, I'm sure it stung or yeah. continues. To well, sting. and partially, you know, because like you you alluded to, like maybe you know Gary would do EXP. Like it, it seems like it's the the more improved version in some sense, of like, and maybe it was you know a big chunk, but even just psychologically of like dude, these guys got it figured out better than us. Yeah. Like, what are we going to do? Yeah. But they seem to be doing fine. Yeah. I mean, time will tell. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see, you know, over the next few years. What a, a really good market um, hides, mm. you know, inefficiencies. It hides um, any defects, any, any of those things. When the market starts to shift, which I mean, we'll start to see and we are starting to see, It'll expose, mm. it'll expose companies and platforms and brokerages and, and agents a lot. Mm. And, then, and then you'll start to see you know, what, yeah. what, what's really working and not working. I'm fascinated. Like I started in 2012 and I was in Texas and it's, like it's just been hot ever since. Yeah. And I'm always just like, man, as much as I like, like to think I've been around the block, yeah, I've been doing it a, a decent amount of time and very committed to it. But there's this whole other world that I'm totally clueless to. Well, it's happening. It's, yeah, <laughs> not for long. I mean, it, it, like it's not going to change dramatically, especially here in this market, um, and not overnight. But it will. It will shift, and it will will change. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just too much happening in the world for that not to happen, and it always does. And we go through cycles. That's true. Um, I, you know, for people like yourself, it's you know you got to be. You know, head on a swivel and eyes wide open to adapt quickly. For others who have been through multiple cycles, you know, they're they already know what they're going to do and they're prepared for it, and and uh, and will take advantage of it. The, every every challenge is an opportunity, and that's the you know the focus has to be on where the opportunities not on how hard it is or what's not working no i mean i i we both think that way and like we're like my thought is like hey the the true entrepreneurs will always succeed and you'll you'll thrive in a sense i mean because it's going to get harder and if you're very serious about it there's more market share to gain but that as i say that people are like you have no idea i'm like well that's true (laughs) you know it's like i'm like i'm kind of like hey i'm wanting that to happen because i want to go and uh use our skill sets that we've been building. Yeah. And they're like, no, you don't. Yeah. So that's just interesting. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, looking forward, big goals for you, um, and ways we can help or our listeners can help. Uh, I know you got the book that you said just came out. Um, yeah. Just, just, um, you know, launched a book called dominant thoughts. Uh, it's a, a relatively sh- Easy read, um, 118 pages. It's a business parable. Show the camera real quick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's I, I bought that one on Amazon. I haven't got my author copies yet. It's that new, um, but the, we have a website, dominantthoughts.com. It's a w- when I was younger, I read I, and I still read a lot of books. And some of the books I read early in my career were, you know, business parables, um, 
the richest man in Babylon. I love that book. The greatest salesman in the world by Og Mandino. You know, and then later books like Who Moved My Cheese and My Iceberg's Melting, those type of books. And and so this is that that type of book. And I just nice. took some of the things I've learned over the last 35 years and and each chapter, each chapter of the story is uh, is takes one of those lessons and weaves it through the story. That's cool. And, um, you know, by the end, it's uh, anyone starting off their career, entrepreneurs, a lot of real estate uh, teams and brokerages have been buying it for their agents and for their team members, which has been cool to see. Um, but it's the hopefully it's the type of book that'll make a make the type of impact in people that some of those books made on me. That's great. How many uh, hours do you think went into writing that book? Way more than needed to be. Um, <laughs> part, well, partly because I'm. <laughs> I have a full-time job and so um but like a book like that probably could have been done in three or four months but it, it took about a year um but it's not it's not as you know i, I have a co-author who who became my co-author because he called me and said hey i heard you might someday want to write a book and i said yeah and he said i have the title i have the url I even have the opening scene of how it starts. If you have all the content, I'll show you how to do it. And I have all the contacts, you know, the guy that designed the cover, you know, all, the publisher, everything. Um, I said, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll partner with you and do that. So if I didn't have, you mm -hmm. know, Greg as a partner, it probably would have taken a lot longer and a lot more time and energy. Um, mm -hmm. But I had someone who's done it 30 or 40 times that was able to, to show me the, the right ways. That's exciting. Yeah, I, I love those uh, Richest Man, like different style. Yeah. I, I like those books. Yeah. And they're, they're easy reads. And yeah. A lot of good wisdom in them. So yeah. excited to check it out. What's uh, one last question before we get out of here? What's one of your favorite things about being an advisor uh, to many different companies? I'm sure it's kind of uh, multi tiered. Like uh, with these podcasts, we get content, but we also get to learn, we get to make connections, right? And so I'm sure there's, you know, many different facets to being an advisor and helping people out. But, um, you're an advisor for quite a few companies, correct? It looks like more than there are, um, but but yeah, it, here's what I get. I get all those things that you just you just mentioned, Alex. Um, but what I get most of all is the opportunity to to make a difference or to to help help someone win, and I like winning. And so, um, being able to contribute, being able to to feel like you're making a positive impact. Um, being able to feel like I'm making a positive impact mm -hmm. is is what I get most out of it. Right. Awesome. That's great, man. Um, any last thoughts, things you want to talk about, or ways we or our listeners can add value for you? Um, you know, look, I, don't, I never come into anything with, like, what I can get out of it or what I want out of it. Here's my philosophy has always been the same. If I provide a lot of value, provide great results, then – opportunities will come up and I never worry about mm -hmm. how or when because they're the the world's full of them and it's just being uh, aware enough to to recognize it so um I would I would actually turn it around and say look if I can be of help thank you or or to you guys or to anyone you know feel free to reach out on you can find me on you know dm me on facebook or message me on linkedin or instagram or wherever um I'm happy to happy to help in any way I can. All right, you switched it on us. All right, man. Chris Heller, guys, uh, Real Estate Podcast. 
And uh, if you have any comments or thoughts, you know, share it with your friends. Give us some opinions. Uh, reach out to Chris, and uh, we're going to keep plugging away. So keep hustling. Take some of this advice. Put it to use. And go get it. Peace. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. Thank you.